you mentioned earlier about like it, like society's uh, uh, advice, like don't have babies until you're ready. Don't have. Ba I'm very much coming from a place of just just don't have babies. <laughs> uh, it looks like YouTube is playing ball. Can I see my face yet? Yes, I can. Fantastic news. Okay, we're live on YouTube. It is Friday night. It's eight o'clock. And for some weird and wonderful reason, you have decided to join me here for episode 29 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. My guest this week is a fun and funny political voice on TikTok and Twitter. Um, we share a lot in common in terms of our uh, left-leaning sensibilities. And I thought he'd be a really interesting guy to get on to talk about some areas that I'm not so... Um, au fait with and some areas that, uh, that that we share some knowledge on um, and we can shoot the ship for an hour and talk about all of those um, so without further ado please welcome my guest this week mr davy moo davy moo welcome it's always nice to be applauded yeah even if it is just by a 40 year old man in a shed uh that's what i'm used to <laughs> don't make it uh small confession actually um so when we, like we were chatting the other night and i was like writing up some details and stuff for the for this episode i wrote your name slash handle down davy moo and immediately i got waterloo stuck in my i was like davy moo davy moo boo boo da bump does that happen am i alone in that or probably not no um there's there's the, the distinct other connection anyway just because you know what can i say I'm, can you say? I'm not Swedish or anything, but you know, <laughs> I uh, I wanted to uh, to to get you on to to have a chat about. Well, I mentioned in the intro, um, it's about sort of two or three areas I thought would be interesting to pull apart this week. Um, one of the things that uh, I've been conscious of in in your Twitter feed. So there's a lot that like where our interests overlap in terms of us bashing the Tories and our um, uh, mutual, I think, exhaustion of. Uh, government incompetence uh you know i i can i basically can't go a day without pulling out two or three or four things that that the government have done that just make me sigh in disbelief or collapse onto the floor and like oh god how the hell what have they done now and i sense that you're of a sort of similar persuasion in that like you 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 come off on twitter as though you're in disbelief a lot of the time at uh at the, the the style of governance that we've that we're now experiencing is that fair um to a to a point i think that it's a, a stretch to even call it a style of governance because to me it just feels like a free-for-all i've never i never thought i would experience anything like i am doing and it's it's what's pushed me to be so outspoken about it in some somebody someone needs to call this kind of thing out and it's why i think what people like us do is quite important sure sure um, I suppose a good good place to start really would be to get a bit of an intro uh, and obviously don't give away anything more than you are comfortable with, but uh, a bit of an introduction in, in like from your perspective, like where you're from, how you got involved in 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 being this sort of left leaning voice on on TikTok on Twitter. Uh, where are you from, Davy Moo? Um, I was born in a place called Skipton, but I lived uh, out in the countryside for a really long time, and then. 14 years ago I moved to Leeds for uni and it, it was a really strange experience because I grew up in the countryside I didn't really know many people of colour I didn't really know many people from other countries mm. so grown up kind of you know reading the Daily Mail when my mum was finished with it and stuff right. and, and and I really liked it because obviously when I was growing up the Daily Mail was like out and out homophobic and that's a fundamental issue with me 
Um, but when I came to uni, I was really freaked out because all of a sudden I was surrounded by all these people who were from different cultures, who spoke different languages, who had different experiences to me growing up. And there was this like dichotomy in my brain where I was like, right, you either double down on everything that you've learned when you're growing up and be like, you know, people that come from abroad are bad and I don't want to speak to people that's first language isn't English. Or you just throw yourself in and learn. Mm. And honestly, it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I met so many amazing people. I learned so much stuff. And I know without doubt that being that closed-minded weirdo is just absolutely not the way to be. Yeah. And I mean, like, it sounds a bit cheesy when it comes to politics and how I got into that. My Like, my existence has always been political. I've calmed down as I've gotten older, but I was a very, very outly, outwardly camp gay guy growing mm. up, you know. Everything that I said and did was microanalyzed by everyone I was at school with, by everyone I was at college with, and even to a point when I was at uni. And going through that self-discovery kind of just coincided with realizing that there's a lot of politics that's unfair because I listened to left-leaning people saying, gay people are just like everybody else. And then I listened to right-wing people being like, no, they're not. They want to destabilize and take away marriage and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of set me on this path. And it was very... It's obviously very biased at first to me, 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 which I think is the root of right-wing politics, and that's where I came from. But as I grew into it, I realised how much it could apply to other people, how you can't stereotype and pigeonhole, and that, to me, is the root of political issues, that that's what happens on both sides. But for me, the right-wing is very reactionary, and, and that's what they do all day, every day. So mm. as, as I came away from uni and I just started reading more and learning more, I got more interested in it. And then the last like four years, it was Brexit that really pushed me over. The last four years just made me be like, someone needs to really be outspoken about this because it's just insane. Mm. Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I didn't really come up a similar route to you in the sense that I think, I think I'm of a slightly uh, older vintage. Um, but in the sense that uh, it was Brexit that kind of, that, that pushed me over the edge if you like it was a sort of political awakening to some extent like i'd always been aware of politics and i was um i suppose as disgusted as everybody else when uh when blair went into iraq for example and you know everyone was marching against it and they just sort of arrogantly pushed ahead things like that were i, I was i was aware of but it was only when brexit happened where it made me kind of angrily confused as to how people could be so missold on something uh and and not just in a sort of comedic like <laughs> you guys believe that you fucking idiot like well it wasn't like that it was more like this could potentially destabilize and disrupt everything for everyone so this feels like a threat to me and that was i think the moment that that made me uh uh it, it truly engage in it um so you say that was sort of around a similar kind of time with you for brexit was it Absolutely. Like, I mean, bear in mind as well, just as a as an aside story, because I don't really go into it mm. much, but I lived in Batley, which is next to Burstall. Mm. And when Brexit happened was when Joe Cox got murdered and she was my local MP. And I literally must have been there 10 minutes before she got murdered. And wow. it haunts me that we went through something like that, something as heinous as that, and people didn't learn the lessons from it because... You know, the, the the guy that murdered Joe Cox was a radicalised, right-wing, we-hate-foreigners type. Yeah. And to think that people still went down the voting line of that appalls me. And I didn't know Joe Cox personally, 
but I read every damn letter that she put through my letterbox because I was a Labour supporter and she was an amazing politician. Mm. And this is one of those, you know, like someone passed away, so let's be nice about them things. She sent out comprehensive breakdowns of everything she did for our local area. She was a wonderful local MP and it is a loss to this country that we lost an MP mm. who was educated as she was. And that was one of the big things for me to, to not give up on the legacy of someone that died so needlessly over something that, I just think it's poisonous for the country. Sure, sure. Um, okay, so we, we sort of touched on like political awakenings and how you've how you became more exposed to to British politics. Was there something that made you think, do you know what? I'm going to get on TikTok and start expressing my views on this, or people need to hear my take on this, or uh, or was it just kind of, I don't know. Like, did you start off doing dancing videos and then like graduate? And I, I'm sort of like. Uh, like self-deprecating a little bit there because I when I first went on TikTok I was just doing like little stupid joke like 20 second jokes about stuff and all of them fell into a black hole and it was only when I started taking the piss out of the royal family and Brexit that everything started to 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 snowball a bit so was it something similar to you you or, or did you go on TikTok with the intention of being like right politics let's crack on no when I I joined TikTok fully because because my friend used to send me loads of cat videos and I was like, look at this huge treasure trove of cute cats. I need to see this. Yeah. And then I got on there and I, I just started putting my thoughts on there. Like I'd been through a lot when I first joined TikTok because it was maybe May 2020 and a lot had happened. And so I just started sticking random videos on of like, hey, so here's my thoughts about this. What do you think? Yeah. And all of them did okay. But then the one that really did well, bearing in mind, I hate donald trump with a passion right. uh, i the two videos of mine absolutely exploded and the first one i still memorized it to this day there's a speech that he did that absolutely kills me because it's ridiculous and i just i lip-synced that and then i did another one where i played another speech of his in the background and just hysterically laughed and it got like sixty-four thousand views in a day really? Yeah, but I, the Trump has found it, obviously, and I ended up with all the comments, you know, like, you liberals don't know, we need to vote for more guns in our country. And I was just like, oh, for God's sake, shut up. Like, it's not even worth arguing with you. You are insane. Yeah. Um, and then I went off for a little bit. I came back on. And by that point, I just had been so frustrated by everything that the UK government had done that basically I came back on TikTok, I was like, hi, I'm making videos again. The UK government is a piece of shit. And immediately my videos just were like, Poof, and I was like, okay, I need to keep doing this then because people are actually listening to me about politics. Yeah, it seems like it's a sort of, um, in fact, I think we touched on a little bit of this the other night when we were uh, first chatting on the phone, but um, it seems like there's a real appetite for people to just talk about politics in a clear, reasonably concise way um coming from the perspective of like an everyday person so like i i was kind of dumbfounded at the beginning of tiktok uh when i when i was sorry at the beginning of doing brexit and royal family stuff because i was like well this is weird because i've been trying like working my ass off to do like you know funny vids and like think of a funny angle and a comedic device etc etc um and with this shit i don't even have to be funny like i, I don't have to sit there and think about oh what's a clever way to do the old like switcheroo like it's it's just like i just got to think of my take on it my angle and then talk for a minute and then fucking 
load like it just seems to catch fire and for a while i was like i don't know like if it's a self-loathy thing or a low self-esteem thing but i was like there's no fucking way these people are real like this has to be fake but then you get all the comments and the engagement and stuff it sort of gets to a point where you're like there's no way that this is like an ai we're having actual transactional conversations here so there's obviously a real you know a need like a hunger out there for people to just talk about um the incompetence about the corruption and how it actually affects like people like you and me and tan and john left of the countryside on the ground every day um one of the things i wanted to touch on uh tonight in in terms of areas that i'm perhaps not so uh exposed to um and and i mentioned before that you and i have a, a lot of common ground in some areas but um one area i'm super light on is this sort of distaste for jk rowling um now i'll hold my hands up and say i'm not well versed in what she has or hasn't done and i'm not I've never read Harry Potter. I think I've tried to watch one of the movies once and I fell asleep after a couple of beers, um, which is not an abnormal occurrence uh, for me. But um, in terms of like my, yeah, my exposure to JK Rowling, um, I, I, I'm basically as blank a canvas as you can imagine. But you are, I think I mentioned earlier in our, our sort of pre-podcast chat, um, you're probably the third person I know who sits on the left of the political landscape, who has a, uh, who takes reasonably serious issue with her so do you think you could like for people like me who don't understand how somebody could have a negative opinion of somebody who's sort of made something of themselves and who appears to give away lots of money to charity um and who stands up for sort of on the face of it progressive values like what what exactly is the issue there where does that stem from well the problem I have with her, I have trans friends and the way that Rowling has supported the anti-trans movement that's just gained so much steam in the UK has just completely changed fundamentally the way that I think about everything that she does. There is no taking away mm -hmm. from the positives that she does, but this is something that people need to realise, that you can give money to charity and you can support progressive rights and all of those things and still have horrible values. And she is very much a case of that. When you look at the way that she's treated trans people and the nonsense that she's come out with to back it up, mm. like, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that once you stop looking at her with the, she wrote my favorite book series as a kid, Eyes, you realize is very problematic. Like, I spoke to a friend who's HIV positive who absolutely hates JK Rowling from before all of the anti-trans stuff because he was like, you realise that the werewolves in Harry Potter are very much an allegory for HIV positive people. And when he said it and I read it back, I was like, huh. And I started getting more and more frustrated with the years before I realised she was anti-trans because like the book series finished, the movies were nearly done. And she was like, did I mention that Dumbledore was gay? And I was like, no, you didn't. Like, one of the big characters that could have been fantastic representation yeah. is gay, and you didn't mention it. And then you start reading back, and you realise that this character that she's decided is gay sells out everything that he believes in to basically almost join the Nazi side of the wizarding world. Right. Because he sees a guy. Like, you know, you realise that these things get more and more offensive, then... When you look at other things that she's done, like her nom de plume is Robert Galbraith. Yeah. 
And she said, oh, you know, I just chose a man's name because I didn't think people would take me seriously as a crime writer. Did you have to choose the name of the man who was the godfather of conversion therapy? Is that, re- is that the same name, really? Yep. And, like, this is the thing, though. There's all these things. Yeah. My main issue with J.K. Rowling is, was, and will always be the way that she has absolutely shit on the trans community mm. because... The biggest problem that I have is there are so many people in the anti-trans movement and J.K. Rowling herself who will tolerate trans people that toe the line. Mm. But the minute they go against the grain and say, that's not true, that's not who we are, we're not mentally ill, we're not pretending to be women, we are women, like, this is how we feel. We're not dangerous, we're nothing. All of a sudden, she'll instigate Twitter pylons, those people will get hounded for days, they'll get death threats and things like Mm. that. She gets a tweet that's offensive and awful, which is obviously a bad thing. Mm. And it's the end of the world. Oh, look at these awful threats I'm getting from the anti- from the trans activists. Meanwhile, the people with hashtag I stand with JK Rowling in their bios are the ones that are telling people like me, oh, being gay is wrong anyway and you're disgusting. I hope you get sexually assaulted, then you'll understand. It's like this debate... People call it the trans debate. It's not a debate. It's a bunch of people who just want to live their lives and get their health care and yeah. feel safe in public versus a bunch of people that are militant, organised behind someone like J.K. Rowling with a huge amount of influence mm. who publish letters that are... like. A, there's a letter that she wrote do you, that references a lot of research that just makes no sense. Do, do you think uh, perhaps a generous interpretation of her situation is that here is this this author incredibly successful who believes that she's a super good person because she's given away a chunk of money to charity and you know no doubt attended whatever galas and and all all the other stuff that millionaires do right um and then she finds herself in a hot spot over um clumsily naming her like nom de plume something i mean that to me that sounds to me like i mean it's it's an horrendous coincidence i'd be surprised if it was just a coincidence but let's say like we're talking generous interpretations here like let's say it is just a coincidence uh that she chose a a dodgy name uh and then she starts getting loads of hate and then as a panic on the back foot she says oh didn't i mention that this character was gay um and still in in the hot seat then there's people sort of going through the characters looking for examples of anti-gay or anti-trans um and so then they start looking at like the werewolves or or whatever like i know that sounds like a generous interpretation but could it could there be something to that where she's she's just a bit clumsy and a bit of an idiot but she's not outright anti-trans and anti-gay and probably in her mind she's got gay friends you know like it does am i Am I making sense there? Like, is it possible that it's it's as innocent as she's just a bit ditzy with this stuff, or with the depths that she's sunk to with the with the anti-trans rhetoric, she's like, there's no denying that. Mm. Like, funnily enough, I used to go out with someone who transitioned to be a woman who is now very close with JK mm. because she believes all of the anti-trans stuff. She believes that she's a female impersonator and all this other stuff. Really, but that's the kind of useful trans person who who gets a pass and gets tolerated but then the other day mm. i saw a lot of hashtag i stand with jk rowling people saying 
Arcator. She's just a weirdo. I don't know why she thinks, I don't know why she's got to dress up like a woman. She is a man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, these are the people you've sold yourself out to. And she's doubled down so much on the anti-trans stuff, especially in the letter I was just mentioning. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, she referenced all of this research that's done by these hard right groups. And I don't know if you saw my blog post yesterday. Literally, I copied and pasted this thing. Um, she tore this woman a new one for signing a letter that she was part of. And she, this woman was like, I don't want anything to do with JK because of her anti-trans views. And someone else responded with, you are a hero. And she responded with, you're a comfort. And the woman that responded and said, you are a hero. Yeah is known for two different articles, one of which said, the trans row made me rethink my support for gay marriage. And the other one said, we need to start making friends with neo-Nazis. Really? Like, this is the kind, this is the kind of person that Rowling and the rest of them who call themselves leftists, yeah. but are anti are throwing their lot in with. Like, there was a whole big incident that happened in America called the We Spar incident, which is fascinating to read about because they basically faked a trans person being in a changing room and caused a trans panic where the far right came out and accidentally stabbed one of the freaking protesters who was anti-trans. Really? And this is the kind of thing that's happening more and more regularly and it won't stop or be dealt with until, unfortunately, some poor trans person pays the price because these people just cannot listen to reason. Right. I mean, you mentioned a second ago about jk rowling's anti-trans views like somebody didn't feel that they could support her for her anti-trans views has she is there a sort of clear-cut example of her being of her saying like i don't associate with trans or i don't believe that trans are like a, a trans woman is now like is there are there quotes and things like that or like video of her saying that kind of shit or no because the problem is with her and a lot of the the anti-trans crowd mm. is that they cloak it in this oh no it's not that we hate trans people we have concerns about women's rights and when you actually look into what those concerns mm. are half of it is recycled homophobia from the 80s and half of it's nothing to do with trans people for example one of the main things that annoys me the most i call it the bathroom farce the bathroom fallacy right. which is well i mean if trans people can if trans women can use the same bathrooms as women what if what if they're just doing it for for sexual pleasure? Yeah, so let's stop there and examine that. I'm a gay guy and I use the same bathroom as men. Do you think I'm thinking about anything except having a wee when I go to the bathroom? And if so, say I'm using the bathroom and I'm a creep. Should all gay men not be allowed to use the bathroom because of that? Yeah, it's it's almost philosophical to think about that thing. Then the other thing is as well, and this always comes up is well all right, it's not trans people that are a problem, but what if a man decides to throw on a wig and pretend to be trans so he can use women's bathrooms? That's the that's the that's well, that's what a cis man's doing. You're blaming trans people for what someone who's not trans is doing. Yeah, yeah. Beating them with it's meant for, for non-trans men. There's, there's also a sort of a circular element to it, isn't there, where if you say, well, I, I don't agree with letting a trans woman into the bathroom because a trans woman might then say well surely somebody who's transitioned to become a woman physically is then they're not going to be interested in you like uh, look i i'm i'm gonna showcase my ignorance of other people's sexualities here a little bit but i would have thought if you change from being a man to being a woman then uh 
going into the women's toilets, you're not going to be interested in the types of bodies that, that are in the women's toilets. You're going to be more interested in what's in the gents, right? Or am I making a complete down well, myself? Well, not necessarily, but that's the thing. You know, people equate trans with sexuality, but there are gay trans women, there are straight trans women, there are bi trans women, there are, you know, trans women who aren't interested in anyone. And that's another part of the problem. Okay, the lesbian trans women, let, just ban them from bathrooms then because they're obviously the bad ones. How the hell do you, how the hell do you decide yeah. out of those people? Let's just ban this whole group of people. It just doesn't, it doesn't hold any weight. Mm. And then I've had this debate, literally, I must have had this debate 30 times online mm. and said, I don't think you understand like how insane you sound mm. because you like it. Trans is nothing to do with sexuality, like I've just said. It's nothing to do with sexual arousal. It's gender presentation. Mm. And I think get... that's a really important point, though, because it's it's people people don't necessarily like to find the time to understand nuance and complexities. And uh, you know, I'm as guilty of of that and this as as anyone. And when you you talk about making the transition from a male body to a female body, I think a lot of the general public would look at it in a sort of cartoonified uh, cliche way where they would say, oh, well, they want to become a woman to then sleep with men. Uh, that that is that's the only way I can make sense of it. Uh, and as you've just pointed out very eloquently, that's not always the case. Like I, w I would assume in my ignorance that that is the case. But y you're quite right. Somebody could just genuinely physically feel and and emotionally feel that they've been born in the wrong body. Um, and then they want to to make that change, right? But um, but I I suppose it goes back to a, a kind of an area that we've touched on on two or three other episodes of this podcast, which is that the general public uh, get up on a Monday morning, they go to work, they clear their emails, then they want to come home, put dinner on, get the kids to bed, and then just slump in front of Love Island. Like they're not overly interested in broadening their horizons. What they really want is their politics communicated to them in a really kind of dumbed down, simple three word slogan way. So I suppose that's the challenge with this as as it is with anything uh, big, like you know your COVIDs, your Brexit, whatever. You need to find a way to kind of communicate these complexities and these challenges to people that make sense to them in a way that they can kind of get on board with. Um, and I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know if there's one fixed way because this is, it's the beauty and the problem with the world, you know, that there's ways that you can reach certain people just by speaking common sense to mm -hmm. them. Some people freaking minds until they meet a trans person and then they realize like, my mates that are trans, I'm really sorry if you watch this, guys, but some of them are the most boring human beings ever. They've got workaday jobs. They have, like, a dog, and they like to go walking around the hills of Yorkshire at the weekend. Yeah. That is that's them. You know, there's nothing exciting about them. There's nothing sinister about them. They're just like everybody else. It just so happens that they're also trans. So... That's what trans people are to me, just like anybody else. And the more arguments come up, the more just frustrating it gets. Like I saw someone say to a trans woman the other day, um, wearing makeup and painting your nails doesn't make you a woman. Mm. I responded immediately with, well, why do you do it then? <laughs> and she just, she just couldn't, she couldn't respond. And I was like, I'm not being a dick. What I'm saying to you is 
you say this doesn't make you a woman, but you do it as a woman. Like I don't leave, but if they want to do that, leave them alone. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't affect you in any way, does it? It's you're just angry because someone's doing something and you don't understand why they're doing it. And I think the big problem is, and this is why a lot of the trans panic reflects the the gay panic of the seventies and eighties to me. People do not understand, so they fear. Mm. People feared gay people. Why, well, why would you want to do that? It's disgusting. It's sexual perverts. We can't have them as teachers because they'll convert our kids. We are just normal people. Mm. I don't care about kids. I want to come home and play God of War and eat a Domino's pizza and go to sleep at a decent time so that I don't have bags under my eyes. I'm not any any different than anybody else except for the fact that I think men are attractive. And if you can't get over that mm. with education and time and people explaining it to you over and over again. The problem is not with me. It's very much a you problem. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. In 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 some ways with the gay panic, it, it reflects perfectly that sort of that cliche, that cartoonification is that people don't understand the nuances and the complexities. So what they go for is this sort of the easy tale that they can tell themselves. And with gay dudes in the 80s and early 90s, then that was that they were all off out in public toilets doing this and they were all off, uh, I don't know, going to whatever else the other like moral panic stuff was um and that they were all uh, catching hiv left right and center um and that you could catch hiv off them uh uh these were sort of cartoonified cliches that people wrapped around a a subject that they didn't want to understand uh, the realities of and in the same way now i suppose um uh, i was about to say the trans debate in the same way now with trans um it's a similar thing like they're, they're going for the easy tale because they don't want to face reality they don't want to engage with something that they uh that they fear or, or they they lack the the ability to understand um okay cool um so another area that i wanted to touch on uh something in the news this week um the the, the overarching sort of broad topic for this podcast uh if i had to pick one word would be dystopia because <laughs> Um, it started off being about tech and uh, and sort of touching on some of the changes uh, in the robotics industries and um, what I perceived to be this sort of like oncoming onslaught of unemployment and um, uh, and like well automation fueled unemployment um, and so I had a few people on and we we talked about that stuff and then now I've had a few people on talking about uh, politics and COVID and. Um, but we always seem to sort of fall into this sort of, I don't know, like uh, geopolitical chaos. Uh, and sitting comfortably within that arena is, I think, the the British political relationship with Russia uh, as it stands at the moment. Um, I hope it changes in the future. I've heard the phrase, is it Russophobic? Russophobic? Um, thrown around over the last two or three years. I think that... There probably is an element of that in the media, but um, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that we are now fairly comfortably in a sort of Cold War 2.0 kind of territory. Um, and this was further evidenced this week with the uh, identification of a um, a British spy working in Berlin spying for Russia, allegedly. Um, and uh, so, so I've read... Uh, he was identified by the British uh, intelligence services, arrested and charged for something close to espionage, uh, I assume. Um, and this is just the latest episode in a sort of, I guess it's been about 10 years now, maybe 12 years 
um, of this souring of relations. Like when I was a lot younger, um, there were figures like Boris Yeltsin, and I think to the end of the Gorbachev era, things had uh, thawed somewhat. Um, and then when Litvinenko was murdered, uh, that felt like a uh, a one eighty moment. Um, and I think there was an expectation from people like me that that might kind of that might shift things quite aggressively towards like sanctions and there would be reprimands and um but from what i've read from what i understand uh actually really very little happened i think there were there were suspected russian spies ejected from various embassies over all over the world but um it there wasn't the sort of reprimand that you would expect after a foreign power murders a british citizen on british soil using that kind of uh, chemical attack um and again like not to sort of labor this too much but it, it sounds to me as though um there was an expectation that that we would thrash it out over mutual business interests like the the brits would look at the russians and be like well you know you know we buy a lot of your gas and then the russians would look at the brits and go like well you know we invest a lot in london and, and somehow we would sort of work it out along those lines but that actually didn't happen at all and over the last 10 years things have continued to sour and we saw it again with the attempted assassination of the Skripals in Salisbury. Um, and and uh, I think the other one was hacked medical research at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, yeah. So things have been getting getting bad for a while. And, and the reason I, I raised this as a topic in, in conversation tonight, the thing that I find interesting about it um, is that we have this weird sort of pivot in the UK at the moment in politics where on the one hand, you'll get Dominic Raab uh up behind uh what's it called i've forgotten what the things are called where they give their like it's a bit like where a priest stands up in a church pulpit pulpit is that right anyway like which we can hoist him from like a, no like uh like in, in the number 10 press conference is, is what i'm saying um so he'll stand there and talk tough about russia um and then on the flip side, we completely turn a blind eye to Russian interference in referenda. We turn a, we don't even bother looking uh, into whether there was any Russian interference in the last two elections because we don't want to know the answer. Um, I, I watched a thing on Panorama earlier where this guy was saying that at the end of the Russia report, basically they had concluded, they, the guy was like, if the question is, who is protecting the British public from Russian interference in their elections, then the answer to that is nobody. And I'm like, and now like here we are a year after that with this guy spying for Russia. And, and we're like, well, we're going to have to have serious words with Russia. Fucking nothing happens. So you've got talking tough on one hand. And then on the other hand, you've got Russian interference. You've got huge amounts of money being don donated to the Tory party. It's like there's such a disconnect between those two things. Um, so I don't know. I was keen to get your your thoughts on this. Where do you think we're at with it? To start with, I will say it's highly ironic to think of Dominic Raab standing behind anything and talking about Russia, considering it's three days since I saw a newspaper article about him getting given twenty five grand by a Russian donor. And I think yeah, this is one of the problems that we've got is that it just feels like it's funny that you said the word dystopia. I just feel like we're living in this country where people are so used to this kind of thing being part of the course in the media. Dominic Raab takes money from a foreign power. Pretty Patel sells secrets to a foreign power, gets to keep a job. Mm. Uh, Boris Johnson, massive donations from Russia for his party, massive private donations for him. It was a Russian, wasn't it a Russian donor that ended up paying for his flat? Like, Was it? It's, I didn't know that. 
don't quote me on that. That might be wrong. I feel like I, I read an article or two about the flat donation. I feel like Russia was in there somewhere. But okay. the the up and the down of it is, I just feel like we've become desensitized to it because it's just on the daily. You know, mm. you just more and more and more and more things to the point where it's it's almost normalized that this is it and. I feel like one thing that the British public is brilliant at is the freaking slogan that we've had plastered on our walls for years and keep calm and carry on. Mm. At what point do we become so disgusted with our politics being infiltrated by countries like Russia that we go, no. But I don't think this is a unique issue with England either. Let's look at, you know, some of the some of the Republican feedback when they were saying there was Russian interference in our election was I'd rather be I'd rather be, what was it? I'd rather be Russian than a Democrat. And it's like, so you're a patriot who thinks you'd rather be infiltrated by Russia than vote yeah. for an American politician, I see. and I think that's that's actually the case here also, in the sense that, so at the end of the Russia report, a lot of the commentary coming out of it was along the lines of, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't look into it because we didn't kind of want to know the answer. And that is not a million miles away from... Uh, well, if they're helping us, then, you know, maybe we just let them carry on. Like, it, you know, it's just, it sort of it's in the same neighborhood as the, the, the quote that you've just sort of reeled off. It's like, well, I don't care if Russia are interfering in the US election as long as it keeps the fucking Dems out. And it's like, oh, my God, like if you let the dude, is there no like one of the things I rant about so much on TikTok is the lack of long term thinking in politicians now. It's like, do you not understand that by turning a blind eye to this tanking of standards now, when the Democrats inevitably do get in next time or when Labour next do win an election, you have you've already given them the precedent. Like it, it, it defies logic. It's like, how can you not think this is going to come back to bite you on the arse? That's why standards are so important. I think that that's. So it's one of the things that's always frustrated me and I use this analogy at work a lot but one of the things that annoys the hell out of me is when you're a good little schoolboy mm. and you always do your homework on time you're always in class on time you always look smart you're always respectful to the teacher that's great when you're a naughty kid who spits and swears and doesn't listen and leans back in the chair that's the standard you set for yourself so a teacher will look like we do like if you ask me like we do with politics in this country and worldwide right now if you've got a shit politician like Boris Johnson, you expect him to be shit. Mm. And that's the standard he sets for himself. But God forbid Keir Starmer take three days to release an eloquent statement about how he feels about something that's going on. Mm. Why didn't you do it sooner? What were you doing? Oh, king of hindsight. And I'm just like, I literally don't. How can you apply so few standards to this, mm. but so many to that? You know, it's it really confuses me how the left is always pilled up as this paragon of virtue mm. that has to battle against the right and to me as well sorry if this is a little bit reductive but it comes down to we tell the truth even if it's not what you want to hear and we'll just lie to get you vote and i explained this analogy to someone else who's a little bit into politics on wednesday like when it comes down to things like the brexit vote or have to how you like bring up taxes so we can actually sort some of the fundamental problems in the country out when the left do eventually get in the truth can be sexed up, but it is only what the truth is. The truth is one thing and it cannot be changed. It is immutable because it is the truth and it cannot change. Mm. A lie can be whatever the fucking hell you want. 350 million for the NHS. 
I'm going to recruit 50,000 new nurses, even though I made 57,000 disappear in the last 18 months. Yeah. You know, you when you can lie, you can sell the dream because the dream is a fucking lie. Yeah. When you tell the truth, you are stuck to just telling the truth. So how does the left ever win against something that can be whatever yeah. it wants? Yeah, you're right. And, and sort of on a similar vein to that, it's so just going back to the naughty schoolboy thing. If if everyone agrees that Boris Johnson is a cunt, uh, then when he does do something good, even if it's accidental, let's I mean let's be honest here. If 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 he accidentally fucks up one day and signs the wrong document, and then nurses get a seven percent pay rise that way, um, people will celebrate that like the naughty schoolboy who actually behaved himself in class that day. It's like oh you've been really good today, Gary. You've been so good. It's like. Gary gets praise for just meeting the bare fucking minimum of behaving. But like you say, like Keir Starmer, because he set the standards this high, if he doesn't meet every single one of those, it's just like, ah, see, I told you Labour was shit. It's like, it's, it's exactly as you say, like how the left can never win in that respect. It's a difficult thing. And I think it's one of the reasons I feel like just coming online and talking in real terms about politics and how it affects people is important because I understand that lefty politicians want to try and keep to those standards, which I'm sorry, are quite antiquated. You know, there's a reason that left-wing politics in particular doesn't reach a lot of youth voters because they don't give a fuck. But people who come online and go, so the prime minister's a piece of shit. Mm. Like, you know that guy that looks like a giant chicken McNugget? Well, I'm going to tell you why he's such a piece of shit. Like, that reaches people in a different way, and they start to think then. I'm not saying it's going to change people's minds overnight, but trying to reach people on a level that they understand is so fucking important. Mm. And it's why joining an app like TikTok, which I essentially used to think was for kids dancing and cats, and talking in real terms to people who thank you for it and go, wow, I didn't know that, and I understand that now is so important because it engages people and it makes them then go out and talk to their friends in real terms and get them on side. So I think it's like, it's that's how you push back. You have to be a real person talking about real mm. issues. Whereas I feel like left-wing politicians have to stick to that kind of like, these are the standards we have to apply. They need people to be on the ground saying, I know that you think that, but that's not what it means. It means this. And then people are like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Do you think we're, we're up against a... Are we in an uphill slash losing battle, though, in the sense that like people like you, me, Tan, um, and, and um, what's the chap's name? Uh, Femi. Uh, escape me then for a second. Um, uh, people can go on Twitter... Uh, and or YouTube and, and they can make all of these explainer videos and it will create engagement and it will educate a certain subset of people. But is that enough if you've got the sun in your pocket or the express in your pocket, like and, and all of these morning news shows take their headlines and talking points from these right wing newspapers? Is it just is that another way that the left just can't win? Because it feels like that to me. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of, like the reason I moved to Leeds was because I wanted to get a degree in media and pop culture because I wanted to go on to broadcast mm. journalism. And I worked really hard in the background for the whole time I was at uni, desperate to try and get some kind of position when I left. I wanted to go straight into it, really, and, and work in media. 
And the deeper I got and the more favours I did for people in the media and, you know, like the more CDs I was sending out and the free little things I was doing in my spare time, the more I was like, is this really correct? Like, do you just have to sell your morals to be a journalist? And I remember saying to a journalist who, like, I won't say who they are, but not that they're big or anything, but, like, I remember saying to them, like, do you just have to, like, sell your morals down the river to write in, in big mm. media? <laughs> and he just cheerfully went... A bit, yeah. Really? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I don't... So do you believe some of the stuff that you write? And he was like, no, I write a completely different piece. And then they edit it and come back and go, no, you need to try and sell that the government's doing a good job with this. Really? And I was like, what if they're not? He was like, yeah, like, to you you have to push the company line, yeah. you know? And, yeah, it's this is the biggest problem that we've got, is that when you're fighting against three different newspapers that say... Foreign people are the reason that you don't have yeah. any money. It's so hard to get that out of people's heads. Like, I've recorded a video to post probably tomorrow now where I've, I've literally said, do you not think England is an insane country where voters get polled in the middle of a pandemic and a food shortage by Brexit? What is the most important issue? Right-wing is most important issue by a country mile, mm. immigration. Com at, in tandem, you've got the, the armies... Uh, America and Britain's army is being pulled out of Afghanistan and the Taliban is taking over mm. again. And what's going to happen there? We've gone in, fucked up that country. The Taliban was radicalised by the shit that we did to that country in the first place. They're getting a stranglehold again. The innocent people will flee that country to try and yeah. live and come here and we'll complain about fucking immigration. Oh, mate. It's a just cycle that we've started. Yeah, it's, it's, it, what dumbfounds me is that it's the same fucking faces and names that that will write a Telegraph article saying something like, "Well, I think I think we've done our bit. It's time to bring our boys home," you know, because that's a fucking vote winner. Like that's a thing that they like saying because they like being the person that says that shit. So that then you know Mabel down the road is like, "Oh, well, he seems like a nice man, that Ian Duncan Smith, or um, or or that I, I oh, fucking got a brain fart again now. I can't remember her name. What's the Andrea Ledsom's the other one?" They'll write these fucking articles uh, championing the idea of bringing the troops home. And I, I don't believe for a second that they think that the job is done or that we should have left uh, an area that is, is that politically unstable and brittle. Uh, and and it will be those same faces, as you said, uh, in, in two years, 18 months, however long it takes for that country to implode and descend into all out fucking murderous warfare for people to to then try to make the trip across the english channel um and, and we'll be in exactly the same situation as we were when when there was um fucking hell when was that was that 2013 2014 there was a, a sudden huge rush of people um uh trying to make the trip and it's the same people that will be complaining like well i don't where are all of these asylum seekers coming from like why do we have to deal with all these refugees like because you fucking created the problem you bell end like this <laughs> is not rocket science how is it possible like it, I, like i'm not speaking ill of you i think you're a very intelligent articulate eloquent gentleman uh but i look at myself and i'm like i'm just a fucking idiot in a shed that like codes in the day <laughs> And then goes and plays like bricks with his five-year-old and you know and i can see this shit i can see like the the bare nuts and bolts of this it's like if i add one plus one then it's going to make two 
So if I can see that and you can see that and all these other people can see it and go, no, no, wait, wait, don't, don't do that. You're going to fuck it up. You're going to, oh, you fucked it. Like, how is it possible that these people in the highest echelons of power cannot fucking see that? I I think that they do. I th- like, there's no way that I don't think that Johnson and Gove and Patel and all of that, there's no way they don't understand how this stuff works. They know what they're doing. But the problem is, when you are in a position of power that is fueled by the hatred of these yeah. people and you have the media in your pocket, like I said, you don't need John down the road to think about, not you, John, not John left of the countryside, he's lovely. <laughs> um, you don't need John down the road to think think in terms about it. That's All you do is you get the, the, the Sun or the Daily Mail to write an article that's like, migrants come in here and get a £2,500,000 yeah. house and a free car so they can live. And they're like, well, I don't have that. I do. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing that frustrates me is, number one, finish the thought. Why do you think that's happened? Because they have something of use. The very few people that get that shit are informants and things like that. They get given those mm. things because they are doing something of more value than you could conceive of. Also, my job is to work with doctors and a good 75% of our database is foreigners. You want to talk about people coming here and stealing our jobs? Well, all I can say is Dr. Muzaffer who's come over here and been a consultant fucking neurosurgeon, mm. knows a little more than you do about how to do certain things that are of value. On top of that, the biggest thing that bugs me is just like, I don't understand why people will get so angry at the people rather than the system mm. that allows it. Like, you, every fucking day you can go on Twitter and see endless gammon tweeting GB News about these fucking people taking advantage of benefits. Who made that system that they're taking mm. advantage of? Is it the government that you wholeheartedly support? It's them that do this, them that made the system mm. that's this like easily abused thing that you hate so much. But you don't rail off against them, do mm. you? No, you're angry at the people that take advantage of the system instead of the people that installed it. And that's where you're going. Yeah, on. yeah, you're right. It's, um, but it, again, it sort of comes down to this like people like a, a nice, easy, simple story. And politics of envy and politics of of fear is just an easier sell to them, isn't it? It's like that brown guy over there took a house that your kids could have rented. It's like, oh, no, 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 he didn't. No, it's like that is a, a deep-rooted, visceral human emotion of jealousy and fear that they're tapping into. It's quite a complicated story to uh, to tell some you know 63 year old gammon guy down the road that actually the reason that that individual was was afforded that benefit was because he was providing assistance to the intelligence services and blah blah blah. um you know it's it it gets into that whole people just want a three-word slogan and to clear their emails and to watch love island um and it's infuriating because it's like you know i i read the news a lot as i'm sure you do and it it winds me up something chronic when people don't know like this they so obviously don't know how fucked everything is uh with corruption with um incompetence um with the fact like the the thing that always gets me is uh when they when they announce that a service or a policy or a department is not fit for purpose and they need to overhaul it or level up or you know whatever the, the the phrase is that week and it's like who like if it's not fit for purpose who the fuck has been running it like 
whose decision was it to create that? And it's like, that's a sort of, I suppose, smaller example of what you're talking about. It's like, why, like, how can you, how can you sign off on this sort of overhaul when these are the same motherfuckers that put the thing in it in the first place? Like, it just doesn't, it just beggars belief that people will just continue to fall for the same lines. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not asking for people to like get to our level of reading about politics and imbibing it all and understanding it and making the mm -hmm. connections. I don't need that. I just need people to realize that the bottom line is the reason that there's potholes in your street and your car's fucked and you can't save up for your holiday is because Boris Johnson is a shit prime minister. Like, that's all you need mm. to know. So please, the next time you get to vote, please vote for someone that might increase your taxes so you can fix the fucking holes in the road so your car doesn't get broken in the first mm. place so that you can save up for a holiday that you can actually go on because you had to isolate for mm. a while and you're safe and you're not going to bring coronavirus back. It's that but simple. Let's, let's role play for a second, Davey. So... You've just said that to me. Let's imagine you've got a loaded gun next to you on your desk. And then I say, yeah, but they're all the same, aren't they? <laughs> it's my turn now. I'm done with it all. Like, yeah. I think that's, th that for me, you know, like I had that with like almost like a three day long argument with someone on TikTok. And the irony is. I was on this guy's side to a mm. point. I just didn't agree with what he was saying about voting for politicians. If you think all politicians are the mm. same, fine. But do you want to throw your lot in with the people that are established in power and are doing a shit job or the guy that might not actually do a mm. shit job? Because I'd rather take the might than the is. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm, uh, it's I, I sort of look at it from a ev evidentiary. Is that even a word? It is now. Right. So like if you take a sort of an evidence based approach and you look at the track record, the working track record of these people. So Boris Johnson, we all fucking know how poor he's he's been <laughs> at every single one of his roles. Right. The guy has been fired three <coughs> times for lying. Um, he's uh, reneged on uh, Theresa May. He reneged on who am I forgetting now? But anyway, his cat his catalogue of fuckery is well known, much reported. Um, you look at all of his cabinet and how he's sort of he's constructed this cabinet of yes men and basically purely on the back of being Brexiters. Like he he purged all of the Remainers and all of the sort of moderate Tories, people that you and I might not necessarily like their voting record of everything, but you could at least have an intelligent transactional conversation with them. They're all gone. Um, and, and so when you hire people based on the fact that they're either yes men or just purely on the basis that they're Brexiters, um, you get this sort of sequence of fuck-ups and U-turns and incompetence. And I sort of think if I was a voter, if I was a floating voter, uh, and I had to make a decision as to whether or not to continue to support the Tories or look at the, the working records, the delivery records of people on the left, I think at this stage I would be like, well, these guys fuck up everything that they touch. You know, they are they are a cabinet of incompetence um but let's try the left because i mean i'm trying to think of the last big fuck up that labor have done i i maybe i'm being a little bit echo chamber maybe i'm sort of selective memory no, but I, like i can't think of a big fuck up that they've done but then they're not in power right so maybe it's an unfair 
I I was very I was very critical of Starmer when the Labour Leaks manifesto came out because I I literally the Labour Leaks manifesto came out I read the entire mm. thing and I sat there and was like like this looking at Keir Starmer going get rid of mm. him then and he just sort of was like do you know what I'm so annoyed and I'm like yeah he's like this is ridiculous go on who leaked this do you mean who fucking leaked it I don't care who leaked mm. it. What, what are you going to do about the people who were trying to fuck up the Labour Party? And then as I've thought about it more and more and been a bit more pragmatic, because this is the problem, I feel like there's an element of nuance that a lot of people miss with leftist politics. I'm like, mm, I still think he was shit with that. Like, what are mm. you doing? Punish these people. One of them was a fucking CEO of an anti-bullying campaign who was like, well, she's a fucking ratty-haired bitch anyway. And I'm like, <laughs> like that was that was poor. And there's a few things that Starmer's drum where he's dropped yeah. bollock. But this is the thing. I'm fine with holding people to account. He always apologises for the stuff that I think he should apologise mm. for. Whereas with Johnson, it's like, oh, yeah, mine's closing down is brilliant. And if you get COVID, then you'll live longer. I don't really care because it's only old people that die. Let the bodies pile high. I don't yeah. give a shit. And I'm... Yeah. Does one thing sound like the other to you people? I'm confused. Like, I... I struggle with true centrists, leftist centrists, I mm. get, because they're an element of pragmatism that I don't think that I can manage because I'm a bit of an idealist. But proper centrists drive me crazy because on one side, you've got a guy who's like, uh, 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 fucking die. And then on the other side, you've got a guy who's like, killing people is bad. And they're like, well, I mean, I don't really know who's the bad guy here. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> like yeah. Um, Okay, so we've got about 15 minutes left. I want to get on to our final topic for tonight. Um, obviously, this has been, yeah, this has been a big week for for Prince Philip. Not Prince Philip, Prince Andrew, fuck. Um, uh, and it has, it's definitely not been a big week for Prince Philip. Been quite a quiet one. Um, so Prince Andrew, let's just recap a little bit. So um, uh, allegedly he was... Uh, he was he was in london in a in a townhouse i believe uh gislaine Vac maxwell was there epstein was there and so was virginia Dufresne nay roberts um and supposedly that night allegedly i'm going to keep throwing that in there uh he had sex with virginia roberts and this also took place in new york and also took place in a, on the caribbean island the pedophile island thing right and they tried to prosecute andrew as i understand it in new york but he failed spectacularly to cooperate with the investigations and i i'm not totally across this so i don't know how you avoid prosecution or what like what if if there's some sort of establishment way that he's protected wouldn't surprise me at all um but basically now they're in a situation where that route has closed and so now uh Giuffre is exploring the civil route in a very similar way to um they tried to prosecute oj simpson he was acquitted and then the only avenue left was actually like to get it on record to get it done in a court and have this person named uh as liable in some way uh then they sued oj simpson and so now she is suing prince andrew for uh i think for sexual assault um what do you think is the next step for prince andrew because I right well actually I'll, I'll take yours first and then I'll expand on mine if you like so wh wh where do you think he goes from here 
To be honest with you, I'm not 100% au fait on this kind of thing. And I think Tish talking is amazing at examining this kind of thing. Love all of the stuff that mm. she puts out. And she's very eloquent at picking the royal family apart in a way that is delicious. But when it comes to Prince Andrew, the frustration that I feel just mounts every single day. Like, I don't understand on a fundamental level how someone that is being accused of these things has the level of freedom that he does. He was interviewed on TV when his dad died. Like, I understand that your dad's just died. You are you are accused of being a paedophile. So, like, in the nicest way I can say this, sorry, your dad's dead, but you're a fucking accused paedophile, so I don't really care how you feel. Yeah. Um, when it comes to it, I think I would assume if he ends up with serious worries that a conviction may come of being sued or like that something serious may come of being sued he'll flounce his way off to a non-extradition country on a aid mission that i'm sure the, the firm will arrange and we'll never hear from him again because the british press will just conveniently forget that he exists until the queen dies yeah i don't think you're a million mil miles off actually i think if it starts to look like he can't wriggle his way out of it and he's looking liable and she doesn't get offed in some weird way uh which i, th I think that would be too obvious i think it's probably occurred to them to just fucking car crash her or like, I d I d I'm not sure what the methods of assassination are like these days, but I'm sure they have somebody somewhere's discussed it, haven't they? Um, but it would be so obvious. So it, let's assume that assassination is not on the cards and he does start to panic. I think you're right. I think he'll, there'll be some sort of, uh, some country out there with a non-extradition situation with the UK and the US. And it, right, here's, here's something that I thought might be interesting. Is So he's, he lives in England. We've just left the EU. So how fucking weird would it be if he just went, I'm going to move to Greece. And, and See, now there's no the longer any extradition there between the UK and the EU. I might, I might be talking shit about that. But I think I remember reading something that we've we've exited the... You know, where you have to drag a suspect across Europe, Europol or whatever it is. Interpol. There's there's still the data sharing agreements and stuff. I'm told there's still the data sharing agreements in place, but I don't think there is. One of the things I do at work all the time is run DBSs. Right. And literally, since the formalization, the solemnization of Brexit on the 1st of January, DBSs have become a twat. You never know when they're going to disclose. They're incredibly unreliable. The second there is an EU address mm. on there, you just don't know when it's going to come back. So I don't know about data sharing. Now, getting Greek citizenship is fucking easy if you're rich. You spend hundred, you spend two hundred and fifty thousand euros on buying a piece of property mm. over there. You're a citizen. You get really? a passport. And I only know this because I've been studying Greek for a very long time, and I would love to be a Greek citizen. If there's any attractive Greek men out there, I'm single AF. I'm just saying. <laughs> but um, like, it's it's a simple matter. And with the with the breakdown of any kind of real relations that we have with the EU, especially with an ongoing prime minister that's as useful as this fucking crystal, yeah. like, I suspect that that would probably be the easiest route for him. And if they, if anyone wanted an ostensible reason, oh, we, we need to build we need to build relations back, so we're sending a royal yeah. out there. Like, hmm, interesting. So I, I I fully I fully could see that happening. Yeah. I don't think he'll even be allowed. Like, let's assume that that doesn't happen and he's just sued. I can't imagine a situation where they allow a prince of the royal family to go bankrupt. Like, she's suing him for 15 million, I think. 
And I don't think he's worth like, I mean, everyone talks about the Royals as though they're worth like, you know, a billion or two billion. They're not actually worth that much. Um, they're, I think the Queen has close to a billion in assets and stuff. But in terms of like, and she has a sovereign grant once a year. Uh, and I think portions of that are then apportioned to each member of the royal family. But in terms of his actual net worth, let's let's have a let's have a quick Google. It's a little bit uh, crude to be googling while I'm doing this, but let's have a look. It's fine, it's fine. You need to do research on the. I'll be halfway through TikTok and I'll be like, shit, was that how much it was? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my uh, very brief foray into internet research there suggested that his net worth is about forty. I think it was forty million. Um, yeah. So if he's if he's uh, sued for fifteen million, I suppose that gets him. I mean, that's a chunk, but he's still, you know, he'll be living well after that, right? Yeah. I think the problem is as well, and it's something that really frustrates me, and try to have this conversation with something as simple as um, speeding fines. Um, when you're worth 45 million, 15 million's shit all. It's, it's a lot. Mm. You can still live off of everything you have left, and you you don't just sit with the remainder, do you? You you keep making money. Mm. He's like his mother is the queen who owns the most property in the entire country, possibly world. So, well, well, no, the church owns the most property. He will be comfortable no matter what. Mm. And so, what material good comes of punishing someone monetarily? He needs to feel. This is the problem with, with the punitive system. People need to be made to feel it in a real way. And it's why, I can't remember which country it is, but there's a country that does proportional fines for speeding, which I think is a brilliant idea. Yeah. If, if you get caught speeding and you earn 20 grand, yeah. you 2% of that as a fine. If you earn 200 grand, you get 2% of that as a fine. You fucking feel that. Yeah, I agree with the uh, the, the ethics of it. Um, although I fucking love speeding, Davy, so I, I'm not going to totally <laughs> throw my support behind it. But yeah, like was... it's it's funny. I had a very similar um, conversation with a, a friend of mine years and years ago. I, I think I was about uh, I must have been about twenty, twenty one, and me and all my friends were obviously driving at that point. And I remember getting a parking ticket, and it was about thirty quid. But when I was that age, I was earning fuck all money. And having 30 quid come out of my play money for the week was basically like, oh, well, you're not going out now on Friday night. So it's, it's quite a, for me, that was quite a chunk to take out of my weekly cash. And I remember talking to my, my mates about it who came from like affluent backgrounds, right? And I said like, I just don't think it's right that me, a student with a shitty little Fiesta who was, you know, admittedly parked in a, wherever it was, uh, that I should have my half of my entire week's pay taken away from me for the same thing that a guy in a Ferrari, a businessman, will just happily park on a double red line and block the exit for an ambulance or something like that, and he'll he'll get the same fine. But because he's so rich, it's not it, like what incentive is there for that guy in the Ferrari to not park on those? And my mates from the affluent backgrounds took. A completely different view of it they were like no well that's how much parking fine is and i was like well no yeah. because it's supposed to de-incentivize you to not break the rules right and they were like no that's just how it works like i don't know why you're failing to understand this aid it's um you know it's a parking fine it's 30 quid if you don't like it then don't park there and i'm like but this is my whole fucking point <laughs> but it's like it's always stuck with me because it's like 
there's obviously something there in terms of like if you maybe if you come from money then you look at things a little bit differently like that i don't know i think that if you never have to look at money as a worry you never understand what it's like to see it as a worry like you know i remember growing up and we didn't have a whole lot of money and so when i actually started getting it i just went crazy with it i was like great i've got money and i don't need to worry now and it was just the craziest thing and when i finally got myself under control mm. I was like, shit, you can never do that again. What are you doing? You know, like it it all worked out in that you could pay your bills and you had everything you wanted and all that every month. Yeah. But if you lost your job or you'd had an accident, you were off work for six weeks, you'd have been fucked. Don't do that again. Yeah. So whereas, you know, if you can ring up your mum and dad and be like, so I'm going to need 15K. Because I do know people that do mm. that. It's like people who, you know, you see so many articles coming out that's like, oh, I reduced my income and now I've got a mortgage for 250. And then the start of the article is like, so my parents gave me 30 yeah. grand. And I'm like, what? Yeah. It drives me crazy. Like every single time without fail. Like you don't live like the rest of us. Our parents don't have 30k to just bang over to us. Yeah. Like, have you seen those um, those tweets sort of memes where they, like, they'll, they'll share the headline of the article and it'll say like, how I became mortgage free by 29. And then, like, it'll be a picture of someone going, like, where is it? Where is it? And then it will, like, scan in, like, home in on the, the one line of the article where it says, like, and then my dad subbed me, like, 97 grand. And then there's a picture of, like, the Simpsons classroom where they're all like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. It's That's just, that just seems to be how it works. Like, there's people that never have to worry about money so don't understand the material reality of money for people that do have to worry about mm. it. And if you are rich as fuck, of course you're going to see it as, well, yeah, parking fines are £30. Yeah. Whereas if, if like, let's say that you got punished, any crime you got punished, you had to work a certain amount of, like, charitable work for free. Mm. I guarantee you people would fucking see it differently if it was like fucking got caught speeding last week and now I've got to work 35 hours in a care room. Mm. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, doing something like that will certainly fucking teach you a lesson. Yeah. What do you think about Johnson's idea of dressing people up in sort of shame suits and making them go out and work in public? Basically like a chain gang. Do you think that's a I think it's humbling experience that would teach people right from wrong or...? No, I think it's elitist and demeaning because people that get convicted of the kind of things that mean that they would be in these chain gangs are the kind of people that do it out of necessity or ignorance. I don't think you're going to find some blue-collar bloody investment banker chained to a bunch of people, are you? Mm. It will be people that are already punished punitively that will be punished punitively and dressed up mm. to look like marionettes that satisfy Johnson's rhetoric. I don't think for a second he thinks he's ever going to do it. No because it's just a stupid idea. I think that it's just Johnson back on farm and doing bloody sound bites that he thinks sound good for his rabid base. Oh, we need to make everyone that commits crime needs to be flogged in the street. Okay, are you going to be doing the flogging? No? Yeah. Well, then shut up. Well, it's it, it's funny. Like, it was maybe a year or two ago, I was waxing lyrical about um, the direction of right-wing... Like, if there's no opposition and there's no media to hold the government to account, then how right-wing could this right-wing government go? And I was sort of taking the piss out of it, going like, well, I guess we should 
prepare ourselves for making abortion illegal and uh, probably town square beheadings and like and, and then he came out with the fucking like shame suits like chain gang stuff and i was like you know those movie scenes where somebody like laughs and then immediately stops laughing <laughs> it's like kind of like i'm like ha, 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 ha. oh wait what no oh, oh wow we're actually not that far away from you know decriminalizing hanging again I could see him being like, let's let's reinstall stocks in public and put people in that, but only people that are found guilty of things like stealing because mm. God knows people that steal bread so they can feed their family in a country where we have food banks left, right and centre definitely deserve some kind of punitive punishment. Whereas like hedge fund managers who fraud people off can just go and sit in a private bloody prison that's like basically in a way camp for rich boys. Mm. Just going back to... Um... To Prince Andrew for a second, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I had an idea of the direction that I thought he might go in, which is um, so he he goes away to a different country, but he goes away to a different country in in the same vein as uh, shamed pop stars who've been convicted of sort of similar things do. Right. So after Jackson, actually Jackson wasn't Michael Jackson wasn't convicted; he was acquitted. But immediately after that trial ended, he flew away to fucking where was it somewhere in the middle east and he lived in this guy's like mansion or something and i thought like that's that's the sort of existence i could imagine for prince andrew is like fucking off and living in opulence but being a guest of somebody who's sort of quite wealthy like a sheikh or something mm. um and then the other option i thought was uh gary glitter like when he blew away he just like packed up his shit and then moved away i think to malaysia was it or thailand um thailand thing. and now prince andrew will be the new gary glitter basically he'll just fuck off like pack up his money go away to thailand and it will be this sort of standing joke like whenever you go over to thailand with your friends and stuff they'll be like you're gonna check in on andy and, and then there'll be joke like endless jokes about how much or how little he sweats in the thai climate and yeah, to be fair, I can probably see something like that. And the irony is, the media will let it happen. Yeah. Well, they won't. There'll be some. Like, we'll be lucky if it even gets reported. There'll be a sort of media blackout about it, where they'll say, you know, it's not. He doesn't have personal security because he's been removed from the upper circle of the royal family or whatever. And so we don't. We don't necessarily want to publicise that he's gone out there. So we'd rather just keep. The, and then he'll just sort of fade from public view. Like, like the news cycle moves so quickly now that at this moment in this week the big news is that prince andrew is being sued for sexual assault um next week some footballer will cheat on his wife or there'll be an earthquake somewhere or um afghanistan will collapse into chaos or you know so it won't take an awful long like a long period of time for him to kind of disappear it will just be people like me and you and a few others on twitter that whenever Meghan markle gets sort of ragged on a bit will raise print like where's prince andrew though <laughs> you know oh no Meghan markle wore a dress that's an offensive color she did, didn't. did andrew ever get convicted of possibly having sex with minors no okay carry on yeah i don't know i i suppose the the contrarian in me uh or, or the sort of like the uh, the understanding or you know the the 
the, the, the person in my brain that wants to be a little bit kind of objective with this uh, looks at the Prince Andrew situation and, and again, similar to what we were saying earlier about J.K. Rowling, like, is it possible that he's just a bit ditzy, that he buddied up with the wrong person? He meets, you know, an awful lot of millionaires and billionaires in his role, or did, um, and through his own character flaws and, and faults, he's ended up in, in this mansion and that Caribbean island. And uh, yes, there were some 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds there, um to what extent is he see even when i think out loud like that even when i try to be a, like to give him a sort of generous understanding and objective interpreter it's i still get to that point where i'm like you fucking idiot like what the fuck are you doing i think the biggest thing as well is like people don't make up spurious allegations especially about rich and powerful no. men about sexual assault yeah like I understand why there's this misconception that money and fame and power comes with mm -hmm. it. But that's because so many people with money, fame and power try it because they are taught you're rich and famous, you can do what you want. So they test the waters with that. And consent is something that really can't be bought. Mm. And I feel like we, we owe a, a debt to the women that go through the shit that they do to trust them. Mm. Verify by all means verify. That's what that's what suing him is for verify that it's true But trust always because you if you are wrong You can do penance and say okay. Whoops. That was terrible. Absolutely shouldn't have believed that he's been Proven innocent mm. and you know, we can all move on now and realize that you just can't Jump to the conclusion that someone's guilty or innocent mm. But if he is guilty and people are like don't believe you you are putting someone who's already been through something horrific through something so much worse. Mm. So I read this phrase right when Me Too first started, which was trust, but verify. I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, um, I think a, a, a lazy sort of easy tale to tell yourself again, sort of going back to that, is that um, and particularly in the sort of misogynist incel circles of the Internet, I'm sure uh, it, Me Too and uh, and, the, and the broader feminist movement is, is probably seen as an attack on men because that's an easy caricatured cliche way to look at it. Um, but the, the need to verify and to trust and then verify is an important step. It's kind of fortunate or unfortunate, depending on which court case you're in, I suppose that if you, if there's a, a guy who has behaved in a certain way and you table an accusation against him i would say there's a pretty good chance that that individual has behaved that way before and so if you've got a good solicitor a diligent one they should be able like touch wood be able to identify people who that individual has behaved that way before with and then you can start to build a, a strong case and i suppose that's where the verification comes in but um but it's no secret that these cases are incredibly difficult to prove and more often than not come down to he said this, she said that, and then the whole thing collapses. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just important that we take the weight of it seriously because it's a hell of a lot of coincidences to be friends with a notorious paedophile who's friends with a notorious paedophile enabler and spend a lot of time with said paedophiles and young people. It's like, hmm, mm. these things seem strange and, and not without weight. So that I think that's just where I come down on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have quite a... Um, I, I was talking to a friend about this last weekend where 
I have quite a sort of open-minded liberal view of whether a 17-year-old girl could or should be um, sexually active, um, for example. Like, I don't necessarily buy into this whole idea of, like, she was a minor and so that's why he's in trouble. My issue is the trafficking uh, layer of it um, and also the the decades of age difference. I think I read the other day that she was only fucking, like, three years older than his daughter at the time and i read a tweet the other day saying like if you're a 40 i think he was 40 at the time 40 42 something like that if you're a 42 year old man and you go around to your friend's house and you go clubbing and they've got some random 17 year old girl hanging around with them the only question you should be asking her is like are you okay like are you like where are your mum and dad do they know that you're here like you should be courteous and compassionate and it, like that is the angle that you should come the last thing from your mind should be oh, i wonder if they could set me up with her so i could you know it's the the age difference and the trafficking for me that's the the issue because i mean look we've all been 15 16 17 and and fooled around um so i don't buy into this whole sort of infantilizing argument that she was a minor i know they seem think they see things a bit differently in america like truly over there if you're under 18 i think in most states then you're in trouble right is it 18 or 21 no it's 18 isn't it? i think it is 18 yeah yeah 18 is 21 is even though like it's kind of fucked up isn't it like 18 is their sort of is their age of consent i think broadly uh but in all the movies that's like it's like the prom night is when they all fuck each other so it's obviously quite a known thing that kids when they're 16 go off and and bang i think i don't know there should be a law really the 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 law should be that if you are over five five years even that seems too much if you're over like three years away in age difference with the girl like if it's a like i know girls who lost their virginity at 14 and if it was like a 16 year old that was i don't know there's a part of me that's like is that I think I think it's a, again it's a topic that's got a lot of nuance behind it and I think as society changes I think those are the kind of discussions we need to have and that's why conservative at its root is a different is a problematic mm. act to take because it conserves the the old ways if you want and the fact that it doesn't change with the times is what causes a lot of frustration and when you look at when you give younger people their their freedom to make decisions mm. More often than not, they make the right decisions, mm. I think. It's just a case of testing the waters with how they are and who they are and then making a decision that's fair to them, but also protective of them if, if that's what they need, you know? So I per- like I personally think that 18 is fucking old. Like, you know, yeah. I'm a British teacher and, and I lost I lost my virginity on the dot at 16. Mm. I lost my... Ironically, I lost my virginity on Independence Day <laughs> when I was thinking. And um, it was one of those things where I was just like, this makes perfect sense to me at the yeah. time. Do I look differently on it now? Absolutely. But at the time, I was like, this is what I want and no one will convince me otherwise. So what's the point of making that illegal? I know what's best for my body and I'm being safe. So who the fuck else can tell me that that's right or wrong? Yeah, it's a weird sort of paradox with conservatism, isn't it? It's like conservatism is all about self-responsibility making decisions for yourself and yet at at a few junctures it seems to completely 180 on that in the sense that 
okay, well, with abortions, the state will definitely step in and tell you what you can do with your body. Uh, with drugs, the state will definitely st step in and tell you what you can and cannot put into your body. Um, with sex, right, you can do this, but no, that's illegal. Um, you're, e even though it's you and you're young and you've decided what you want to do, no, no, it's still we know, but, you know, it's it's a strange flip to to make. It's because that's it's a depersonalization. It's not about the individual or their freedoms. Mm. It's about control. It's control for control's sake. And I feel like the the problem when with with consent laws and stuff like that that sounds really bad. But the problem with consent laws is that it it's a generalization where there's where there's sixteen year olds who are very switched on who were much more switched on than I was when I was sixteen because mm. I was just like sexy time now please you know <laughs> there's sixteen year olds who are in very committed adult relationships who want to take that next step because it's the natural thing and then there's 16 year olds like me who just wanted to shag mm. you know there's a mile of difference between those two types of people how do you apply a hard and fast rule mm. to all people and say you are not old enough to decide this yet because you don't know every single person that's that age mm. but we have to as a society come to some kind of agreement that that's the age where the vast majority of people can make that decision for themselves yeah. and whether we do or don't doesn't change the fact that people do it. That's it. It's uh, I suppose for me it's a uh, an aspiration that at some point law and politics will catch up with the reality of the decisions that people make. It's like I I mean look I'm a father of of two kids and when they get to that age obviously I would rather that they um, that they waited and that they they enjoyed that part of life when they're in a committed loving relationship but i'm also a realist i know that there's stuff that they're going to get up to behind my back that i'm never going to know any stuff i don't want to know about quite frankly um the thing that bothers me that like the the line in the sand that i think needs to be drawn is that ratio of of age difference where i think there are always going to be girls who start fucking at 14 i think there's always going to be um uh, guys who who start fucking at 15 and and i think the difference is like if if they're sleeping with somebody that's like a year or two above them in school i don't think like a 16 year old boy should go on the sex offenders re register if he sleeps with a 15 year old girl i just think that doesn't make any sense at all but i think if you relax the consent laws to be like oh well all 15 year olds are legal now then it would be a fucking minefield and so you need some sort of um, line in the sand to say like if you're if there's more than like a two or three or four or like however look basically you can't be prince andrew at 42 having sex with a 17 year old girl in the fucking bathroom like there has to be some sort of law there to say and it's and it frankly it's not good enough for people to say oh well you know 17 year olds they look like 18 year olds or you know it's like you there is a, a way ah. that you could legislate for that that kind of talk is very creepy mm. and problematic though well and i think the problem that we always talk about is we always talk about the act that we need to talk about because if you want to talk about those things you need to look at what is what is it that that causes people to do those things and i think one of the big problems that we have is that there is if you ask me undeniably a problem with fetishizing younger people and youth itself you know mm. every fucking advert's got some some age undefinable person with like perfect skin and all of that mm. and it causes people to fantasize about people with the perfect youthful skin people with the perfect
youthful little figure and things like that. And like that is it's almost like a bias that's put into you by advertising and by society itself that you have a responsibility to unpick. Like but, we I remember just aside, I did grow up at the same time as Tom Daly. Mm. And every fucking gay website was creepy because when he was 15 and 16 and I was around the same age, yeah. people were like, oh, Tom Daly, no, no, no. And this is like 35-year-old men fantasizing about him. Right. And I just used to like, what is wrong with you all? Like, I don't fancy him because he just, he looks too young and like a fucking chipmunk for me. Like, no offense, Tom Daly, if you ever see this. Um, He's a big fan of the will, podcast, yeah. Obviously, hi. Um but they will they will just unknowingly go along with those things rather than questioning is it a bit weird that i'm fantasizing about someone that that like can you, if i sat in a room with a 15 16 17 year old mm. i wouldn't fucking hell to say to them did you have a, a good day at <laughs> yeah. school college yeah oh, i'm gonna go over there now like it would be so uncomfortable because i don't fucking know what to talk to you about you're young like yeah. I go to work nine hours a day and then I come home and I'm like, well, the government's a piece of shit. I don't think I'll be having that conversation with a 17, 18 year old, nor do I want to have yeah. sex with someone that doesn't understand it in the fundamental way that I feel that I do after having years and years of it. You know, I used to do a really bad taste joke about paedophiles who like, you know how for a regular person, once you come, you get that moment of clarity where you regain your sort of conscious thought. Uh, and I used to say like, it was, oh, I can't remember the actual joke now, but it was something along the lines of like, it must be really like, that's why paedophiles murder children because once they come, then they regain and they realize how fucking annoying children are. And I said this like as a father, but it's kind of like, there's some truth to it. It's like, there's nothing, how can you have anything in common with somebody that much younger than you? It's like, like if, if you're a 40 year old man, I say this to my girlfriend all the time. I'm like, if I was in the car with like a 17 year old girl and I was driving the car, I'd probably just pull over onto the hard shoulder and get the fuck out. Cause I just have nothing to say that like, they'd be talking about fucking Justin Bieber or like, I, I don't even know like who the current pop stars are, but like there would be nothing in cop. They would just annoy the fuck out of me. They, they'd come out with saying, I don't understand. There's nothing there you know i think that's it yeah it's it's a weird i just don't understand what the draw would be like why you would want to have any kind of protracted interaction with someone that you just on a fundamental level are so different with it's different when it's when it's not loaded but when you're alone with someone i'd find that creepy as fuck for mm. myself as, as a 33 year old like what, the, what am i why are we in the same room what what are we here to do like it's a very, very weird situation. Yeah, I mean, I suppose to some extent there's a biology element to it where you are, uh, you're attracted to to younger women as a, like a, a sort of, like they're more fertile, I guess. I'm putting my sort of biologist's cap on here. Like, is that, could it, could it be something to do with that? That we're, that we're hardwired to look at younger women as attractive because they're so like if like a 19 year old woman is going to get pregnant way easier than a sort of you know 40 year old woman for example so is that why we go for like younger women well i don't know because obviously i'm i'm very different than like i don't want kids mm. anyway just as a as an aside but also as a gay guy like i don't have the drive to create children and mm. to me it seems like 
societally growing up, it's always been a very don't fucking do this until you're ready kind of thing that's always mm. been sold about having kids. So I'm always very surprised when people say that because to me it's always seemed that society tries to push you away from having kids until you're mm. ready. So I feel like maybe maybe it is biological, but I also feel like it's unfair of me to weigh in on that because I am driven by different biological urges than heterosexual mm. men. You know, like I... I don't look at a guy and think, can't wait to get him preggers, you know? Like, I I just look at a guy and think, God, he's got nice yeah. eyes. So it's it's different. It's a different thing for me. And I think that's one of the big differences with being a gay guy versus a straight To straight guys about, like, different elements of, of sex and stuff like that before. Because I, I tend to, on a very fundamental level, get on really, really well with sort of the classic, more jockey, straight men. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I always find that they're the really good mates who will actually end up sit there and listen to you talk about your emotions and stuff. Um, and when I've talked to them about what attracts us to the people we're attracted to, they always give me the most fucking left of field surprising answers. Because they're like those kind of guys I will always find dating, dating very stereotypical types of girls. Yeah. And I'll be like, what, what, you know, like, what's your type? What draws you to them? And they'll always be like, she just listens to me when I'm upset. And I'm like, <laughs> I was expecting, like, she's got big boobs or, you know, like, I like her hair color or whatever. And it's always yeah. like, yeah, she, just, she brings me flowers and it's a really nice change. And I'm like, the fuck? Like, yeah, that's. It's always those guys that throw me the curveballs without fail. Always that type of man that throws me a curveball. Yeah. That's interesting, though, like, for, for sort of jockey uh i'm guessing sort of quite yeah like quite sporty like big dudes like you would expect like all the guys that i know like that are they would not be talking about their emotions and and the emotional needs that they look to have fulfilled by their partners it's it it is very much in that stereotype territory where they're like she's got big big boobs see that's that's i think that's the thing for me though i've always found that making friends with that kind of guy Mm. i'm the type of person, I'm not necessarily saying gay men, but the type of person that I am and the type of gay man I am, I'm this perfect mix of, I'm a bloke, so we can talk about the blokey stuff and all of that, but you can also up to, open up to me as if I'm your best girl in mm-hmm. there. And so I end up finding this side to people that they don't often show to others. And it's why I've ended up going absolutely balls to the wall for some of my mates who are like that, because I'm just like... I will fully stand there in a bar with them and be like, you fucking talk to my friend like that again and I will murder you. I have done that before. I found a guy having a go at one of my big manly heterosexual friends being a real dickhead to him. I was dressed full head to toe in drag with big pointy nails on. (laughs) And I heard this guy going, you're pathetic. You're a piece of shit you are and nobody actually likes you. And I went up to him and pointed my big witchy finger in his face. And I went, if I hear you speaking to my friend like that again, I swear to God, they're never going to find where I bury you. Shut the fuck up and fuck off. <laughs> Which was a very weird experience. Yeah. But it's because I was so close with that guy on such a fundamental level. I knew all of the shit that he told me about why he felt really insignificant. And so hearing someone speak to him like that yeah. pushed my straight away. Whereas everyone else saw him as just another meathead. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's nice, man. That's nice to hear. Um, it sort of elicits that sort of protective feeling, and and it's in the sort of reverse of the dun- dynamic, maybe that you would expect it to be. Yeah, it, it 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 happens a weird amount of times. Like, there's a lot of times where I've ended up really pulling it out of the bag for for my straight mates because 
I don't agree with the whole, you know, there's a lot of, I, there's, a, there's a TikTok that's going viral at the minute that's this girl sat looking really bored on a date and this guy goes, as a heterosexual man, sometimes I feel really not, not listened to. And she goes, I'm leaving. And there's a lot of people that really do think that that's how difficult their lives are. But then when I've actually gotten to know people that are sort of like of the very stereotypical heterosexual, my life's never been a problem thing you find out so much nuance about how they've grown up and why they are the way they are and why they act the way that they act. Mm. And so it, it gives me this like father response that I don't really get for other people where I'm just like, I understand who he is and why he is that way. Mm. Don't with him. Yeah. So it's, it's happened. It's happened more than once, probably four or five times. I've really ended up being like very, very protective. Of someone. Yeah. Yeah. You sound like a good dude, Davey Moo. Um, I could chat for hours, man, but I've got to wrap this up now because I've got babies I've got to go in and uh, uh, and check on and feed and all that stuff. So um, you mentioned earlier about like it, like society's uh, uh, advice, like don't have babies until you're ready. Don't have. Ba I'm very much coming from a place of just just don't have babies. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah we'll, we'll have to wrap it up here thank you so much for joining me tonight and uh if you want to catch up with davy moo he's on uh twitter and tiktok at davy moo d-a-v-i-e-m-o-o um and we'll be back next week with another no doubt intellectually stimulating and uh, uh beer fueled episode of abe thompson and other disappointments and uh yeah once again thanks very much for everyone uh joining me and uh, thanks very much for the chat in the live stream. I'm sorry. At, at some stage in the future, I will uh, implement the chat feature and get some sort of Q&As and shit going on. But um, that has happened not tonight or ever before. So at some point in the future, it will happen. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. And we'll catch you all soon. Ciao for now. Bye bye.